Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like to support the ministries of Rancho Church as we advance the cause of Christ together, you may do so at rancho.tv giving. Enjoy. Well, we are in the middle of this XYZ series. We're celebrating every generation, every every week. And so we started with the traditions. Today, we're going to focus on the boomers. And, um, and really, there are a lot of differences in uh, and among the generations, particularly how we use technology and particularly how we use technology in church. So let's start with the younger generations. Generation Z, age 5 through 25. At church, they use technology to play games on the phone, but when caught, will claim to be using a Bible app. And um, so the key to that is to make sure your, your app your, your game apps are right next to your Bible apps, so you can just kind of switch right over, right? So uh, for your young uns, that's a little, little tip. For the millennials, these are the 25 through 40 years old. Uh, they half listen to the sermon at home. They don't even bother showing up uh, while they play with selfie filters. That's kind of how they do church. That was funnier than you gave me credit for. Generation X versus, <laughs> versus uh, ages 40 through 55. Uh, during church, they scan social media and use the phone to fact check the pastor because they don't believe anything they hear. My generation, cynical bunch. Boomers, 55 through 75. The phone rings in church at full volume. They then scramble to silence it, but by the time they do, it's gone to voicemail. Anyway. Traditionalists, age uh, 75 and older, their phone also rings in church at full volume. They actually answer it and tell the person, I'll call you right back. That's how we use technology uh, in the different generations. Let's welcome some of our baby boomers up here. So glad that they're here. All right, I'm going to stand. These, these stools uh, bother me, but you can sit. <laughs> My stool actually was falling apart last time, so God bless you and yours. <laughs> all right, we've got some uh, friends here at Rancho that are of that baby boomer generation. Uh, all of them at the very, very youngest part of the baby boomer age group, right? Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, so we've got um, the, the Masters, we've got the Morels. Uh, we have the Wilsons, and uh, they're great friends of the church, and we're going to hear from them about their uh, experience in their generation and how that plays out in their vocation and their, um, and their faith. So, Ed, we're going to start with, with you. Uh, you have a vocation in both ministry and in business, and, and how have you seen your generation uh, create opportunities and pour into the next generations? Yes. Um, well, we're involved in ministry here. Mm -hmm. Because uh, we like encouraging people. We like uh, working with people and feel like that's one of the things we can do. So uh, we're involved here. But we're in business, we're finding that uh, the faith and business connection is interesting and becoming more so. Um, you know, when you think about business and uh, P&L and uh, planning and strategy work and so forth, People want help with that. But more and more, the request is coming to us. I'm, I'm in the consulting coaching training business. Owners and their management teams want help with the people side. So we are perfectly suited for that coming out of the Christian community because uh, that's our business. That's God's business. He invented it. And uh, so we're finding that the principles and the values of faith and how you treat people, how you deal with people, are matching up very nicely in the marketplace. Uh, the whole idea of, uh, of uh, customer-centric, employee-centric, um, servant leadership, those are the big themes that are in the marketplace today, and we are prepared for that. Young people who think that way and prepare themselves to be people experts in the marketplace are going to be successful, no matter what it is. Technology 
cannot overcome the need for good people skills. So we're enjoying that connection. That's good. And the baby boomer generation has the experience, the business experience to be able to, to pour into that next generation. Exactly. But exactly. also I think has come to the realization, as you mentioned, that it's about people first and that's connecting with the values of the younger generation as yeah. well. It's about people first, yeah. second, and always. Yeah, it go. really <laughs> is. It's, it's, it's the key. That's good. Yeah. Now, Carol, you and Ed have been serving in ministry together. You have facilitated our new members class and our Next Steps class as well. So when we promote Next Steps, uh, if you're new to Rancho, what's next, how to get connected and serve, these two will help you out with that. And so you uh, help to equip all generations, and that's been important to both of you. How have you seen uh, church really work well when all generations are under one roof, but also working together? Well, when everybody pulls together and helps each other, and that was my experience in church growing up, that no matter what your age was, you helped the next level down, and you were there to help them through that. I was an only child, and so I grew up with adults. My extended family was church and enjoyed that. And as I got older and started experiencing um, issues with children who came from very tough situations, um, I decided I wanted to be a marriage counselor so that I could help them with those issues. I could help them with their spiritual life, but I could not help them with some of those issues they were dealing with. So it became very important for me. And each church that we've belonged to, I've found a way to get involved and to help mentor down through the ages. Well, that's great. That's been uh, the, the history of your church world, and you get to experience that here as well. It's one of the great pleasures of being a part of Rancho is every generation is here, and to have people like you pour into that next generation is, is so powerful. Wilsons, uh, Steve, and Denise, welcome. Uh, Steve, you are Thank a you. successful uh, architect, and you own and are director of an architectural firm, and uh, you helped to lead the team of Temecula Valley Hospital designing yes. that as well. So thank you for that. It's a great thank contribution you. to our community. Uh, so as a, as a success, successful, very young baby boomer, um, uh, what has contributed most to your success? Yes. Well, um, well first of all, we are the, the youngest baby boomers. I'm the only one up here with an earring in his ear, um, <laughs> can I say. But, uh, you know, uh, for me, you know, I, I, I embody a lot of the attributes for my parents. Um, they were, you know, my father was a carpenter, union carpenter in Chicago. My mother's a school teacher in Chicago. And um, I have my father's work ethic. When I first started out in my career, you know, working hard, working long hours was very normal. As a matter of fact, it was like a contest. How many hours can you get in? Who can work 72 hours with no sleep? Um, but, you know, I would not encourage that now. My mother was a school teacher and very, you know, kind of the carry kind of religious load of the family, if you will. She dragged her four sons to church every Sunday um, and instilled in me a deep faith in Christ and everything that um, I can do all things through Christ. Um, and those two things together are, are what makes me who I am. Uh, in my career as an architect and in a, in a working front firm, I, I, I collaborate with teams of people from many different countries, many different religions, uh, many levels uh, of experience, and having to have an open mind and a willingness to you know, accept newcomers and their ideas is a, a big part of what I do. Um, and you know, that faith in God, because it can get kind of weird sometimes, you're a little concerned about the people around you and offending, offending people uh, is the concern that you always have, and you know, I'm always careful about that. But my wife taught me one time that uh, only, through, only what you do through Christ will last. And I, I don't worry as much today about what I do in the office and whether or not it's right as, as, as much as is what I'm doing a reflection of who I am in Christ. And is that making an impression? So, um, you know, as I said before, it's a, a big part of my life now and everything we do. We are the uh, couples ministry mm -hmm. leaders, yep. if you want to call it. I guess what we should call that. Uh, but we do enjoy what we do here at the church and pouring back in other couples' lives. I appreciate that. Steve, one more question for, yes, for you. 
you, you and I have talked about uh, the racial diversity component that has been a part of your particular career. Yes. And how your generation has really done so much to, to kind of till the ground that the younger generations enjoy now of an increasingly diverse yep. Uh, you know, uh, work environment. So how, how did you experience that? It, it, um, it very carefully, <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's being able to, to, to broach conversations that you might otherwise be uncomfortable about. I, I was in an office at one point from people from 13 different countries during the Iraq war, the initial one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had people in my office from Middle Eastern countries and you should see the discussions we would have. But having a, a discussion about those kinds of things, those people, their, their points of view, and respect for their point of view. I, I have reached a point in my life where I don't, I, don't, I don't critique people by who they are. I know that people come from very diverse backgrounds and their backgrounds will make no sense to me because I wasn't raised like that, it's not embedded in me. But I know it is as much and it's as real to them as the floor I walk on. And to debate a person about who they are and where they come from is a ridiculous thing to do because it is a part of who they are. Now, finding a, common, a commonality together where those two those worlds intersect that we can create a whole new thing about who we are and how we relate is what I strive for. Not changing them, but finding a new path forward that we can all agree to and be a part of. That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Now, um, Denise, uh, you are a governing pastor around here, so you're my boss, so I've got to be real careful right now. But uh, uh, you are a successful real estate agent, and, um, and you have this incredible kind of integration of your vocation and your faith. I don't think you see much daylight between the two. So how does that work out in, in your world? Um, actually, it works out every day. Um, last year, I was our board president um, of our association of realtors for over 5,000 realtors, and um, every meeting before um, we started our board meeting, I would always open it up with prayer. And of course, you have different, um, different religion there at my board meeting, but I just felt as the leader of this board that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to share my faith. And I would always have people come up to me and say, thank you so much for saying that prayer or, you know, for doing this. So when I lead meetings at my association, I don't have a problem opening up with prayer. It's like it's almost they know Denise is going to do that, and that's who I am. Um, and and I, I, have, I don't apologize for my faith. Um, I do that because of my relationship with Christ, and I, I just look for every opportunity to be able to share. I could be in the grocery store. My husband says I talk to people too much, but my opening <laughs> conversation would be, so what church do you go to? And then when we start talking, and then I say, well, yeah, God is good. Let me just tell you my story. And then I just start talking and sharing my, my faith. But you just never know who you could be sharing shedding some light with of who Christ is. And they will only know Christ by looking at you as an individual. So when you have that opportunity, definitely step out on it. But um, I also work that into my field of uh, residential real estate. Whenever I'm working with buyers and sellers, and I love working with both of them, but um, I love the first time buyers first because they're already, you know, have a lot of questions. But when I share with them, you know what, if this is the house that you want, we're going to pray that God blesses you with that. And they're like, really? Really? So whether they're Christian or faith or not, they're excited that they're getting ready to get a prayer because they want that house. And uh, I share the same story with my sellers. I'm like, if this is the price that you want, even though it's above asking, we will still ask the Lord to bless you to get that offer. But I use every opportunity with my clients to share my faith. I do not push it on them, but I just let them know, well, I'll be praying for you. Oh, let's just pray about this. And then I open the door and when and they see that you're a Christian, then you have that dialect there. So I'm never, I never miss the opportunity to do that because that's what God 
God has called me to do, to share my faith and be light in darkness, and I love that opportunity. Well, very good. I wish, you would, uh, I wish you would share your faith with the person next to you. Um, now, Ed, <laughs> uh, Ed, Ed and I have been friends for, for quite a while, and uh, we played a lot of pickleball together until you got really good and I quit. Uh, <laughs> but you shared with me uh, some of your business history, and your first business didn't go so well, and you're pretty vocal about how you made that transition from your first business to a very successful business that you run today. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I asked Scott last message if he could please not share with everybody that I had a failed business, but it's, it's obvious that his goal here is to make us look foolish. So well, it's entertaining. I, it's very entertaining. So anyways, according to what he's asked me to say, uh, Scott, you are responsible for our success and your counseling. I'm glad you finally became aware of that, Ed. So we had, as he uh, pointed out, a business that was not going oh so well. It was the worst health club in the history of health clubs here in town. Uh, it was the only way we were trying to make a living, put food on the table, and basically just looking for opportunities to survive in a bad economy with huge corporate clubs coming in. And uh, again, I learned in one of Scott's messages that sometimes things just happen. I don't think that God talks to us in every single thing we do, but I think sometimes he nudges us. And uh, in an adult Sunday school class we were in, we had one of the families come up and ask us if uh, they wanted to come over and join because they said that they have kids and they knew we would have something for their kids, uh, which at that point we did not. But I talked with Lanny and I said, you know, that might be the only thing that's going to save us because the other major corporate health clubs, they offer childcare, but no real activities for the kids. And so through a series of trial and error, one trying to offer a health club that offered activities for kids, which seems like a good idea, but it's not. It's two different markets. It's <laughs> the families who care about their kids, don't want to be around a couple of muscle heads that are sitting there flexing in the mirror, <laughs> and the muscle heads don't want a little girl wandering around in a tutu interrupting their 500-pound deadlift. And so um, our great idea wasn't so good, but it definitely got us going in the right direction. We started offering dance and volleyball, gymnastics, uh, anything that we could to bring the kids in. And as we realized, we were getting more calls for kid activities than we were for adult activities. Uh, and it ended up being the heart of our businesses. We ended up with uh, two businesses, Temecula Dance Company and Viper Volleyball. And we're able to share with a lot of people. And you know, not in a preachy way, but more in a way that we live, and hopefully it gets them to ask questions, and uh, been able to influence quite a few people. And so the, the one thing that I do like to point to, which I think our generation is known for, and that is a hard work ethic that I believe that we had, no matter where we were uh, in our business life. And uh, I think it contributed to a couple of people helping us when we really needed it. Uh, and one of the gentlemen that, that helped us, he gave me uh, great words of wisdom when I tried to thank him for his assistance at a very necessary time for us. Uh, he told me that his wife and him have more than they can say grace over and that we should take the assistance he gave us 
and do something good with it. And so that's really what we have kind of been called to do as far as I'm concerned. And every time that we feel like we've reached the point we can pay our bills and go on vacation and maybe we should just stop. You know, I look at the young people around us that still have an opportunity to work and we can offer them that opportunity. And, uh, you know, we just keep going because it's kind of like the responsibility that was given to us by uh, Don Martin. And so that's our story in a nutshell. And now it's my wife. <laughs> now, uh, Lanny, uh, God bless you for sticking with Ed. Thank Number you. one. Number two. Are you praying for me? <laughs> Daily. We all are now. Every day. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you run the dance side more, and, and Ed runs the volleyball side yes. more, but you have this uh, great privilege of having your vocation pour into the next generation. What does yes. that feel like for you? Well, we just feel like we have been blessed so much with our businesses that we have. The dance business is 27 years old now, and volleyball is 21 years old, so We've been actually able to watch little children grow up to be amazing adults. And at this point, now I have little three-year-old dancers whose parents are now parents, and they're bringing their children to dance. And it's so wonderful to see. Also, you were often contacted by people who grew up at the studio and have thanked us for the different things that we've been able to present to them. We have a not-for-profit um, organization called the Make a Difference Foundation, and so we do some things with the orphanage, with the homeless, and different things that happen locally. And so some of our children who have grown up or are now adults never had opportunities to participate in those type of events or be exposed to anything like that. And so they'll call us later and say, you know, when we went to Mexico, that was life-changing for me, and I actually changed my major or different things like that. And I feel like the ministry... Um, that we have in our businesses um, has been able to affect a lot of people, but we're the ones that are blessed to see that, and we're so thankful that we've had the opportunity to watch so many wonderful people grow up to be, you know, some really fantastic adults. Well, thank you all for sharing your story with us and a great representation of a, of a great generation. So let's thank these couples and you. Thanks for coming. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, this really is a great representation of the baby boomer generation. You heard some themes throughout this. You heard things like work ethic, right? This boomer generation is hard at work, and, and that was instilled by their parents, the traditionalists that we met a couple of uh, weeks ago. Uh, they had come through uh, the Depression era and the era of the Great Wars, and, and they essentially told their kids that if you're going to make it, if you're going to build a great life, if you're going to build a great family and build a great country, you've got to work hard. And so some of the, the criticism maybe that this generation has towards the younger generation is that this generation does not have to work very hard. Everything is given to them and handed to them. And so it's good for all of us of all generations to look at the baby boomers and say, you know, that's a great story. You have built an amazing nation. The technology and businesses that have come through the boomer generation have radically shaped the world. In fact, this generation built the engine of the American economy that has brought billions of people throughout the world out of poverty. And so there's a lot to be grateful for. The boomer generation is the sweet spot of experience, skill, and wisdom. If we're going to celebrate the boomer generation, it's the sweet spot of experience, skill, and wisdom. They have a, a great track record of, of experience behind them, both the successes and the failures. They've got great skill in their particular vocation. They've been working hard at it for a while, and they've developed wisdom. They're also at the peak of cultural credibility, not just experience, but cultural credibility. 
And so they're at an age where they are respected as people who have been through so much and have such skill, they have cultural credibility. The way Proverbs 20 puts it is this. The glory of the young is their strength. The gray hair of the experience is the splendor of the old. And so when we look at the younger generations, X, Y, Zs, we say, hey, this is fantastic. They've got a lot of vision, vision of the way the world could be and should be. They have some energy, right? And they want to accomplish great things. But really wisdom comes from those who have the gray hair. Now I'm getting there. My gray is about up to here and it's quickly going all the way, right? Um, so gray hair is an honor. According to God's word, it's an honor. So uh, for those of you uh, ladies who dye your hair, underneath is some amazing silver that the Bible calls a crown. Silver is beautiful these days. You might want to think about it. <laughs> but that gray hair is an honor. That gray hair is a crown because it comes with such wisdom and experience. If you look at God's word, you see that, that the heroes of the Bible, we're talking about uh, Abraham, Moses, David, the, the, uh, uh, the prophets and the kings and the priests of the Bible, most all of them were called in the age that we would now consider to be that baby boom generation. They have enough experience behind them to have cultural credibility and they have that wisdom. And God says, I'm going to, to mark you to do something incredible in this world. Even Jesus, by today's standards, would be in that baby boomer generation. Does that kind of surprise you? When you think of Jesus, do you think of baby boomer? Probably not. But let me explain how this would have worked. 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East, the average lifespan would be around 55 years old. So right now it's maybe young 80s. Let's compress our lifespan to the ancient lifespan of 55 years old, right? Now at the time, if you survived childhood disease, if you were a woman and survived childbearing, and if you were a man and survived wars, you could live to about 55 to 60 years old. The age of adulthood, particularly in the Hebrew culture, was 13 years old. That's that bar mitzvah time, right? So at 13, you were considered to be an adult. From 13 years old to 30 years old, that would be your apprenticeship years. Those years, you would be uh, working in the family business, learning the craft of farming or carpentry or, or, or uh, uh, textiles, whatever it was. Whatever was your family business, from 13 to 30, you'd be in an apprenticeship. At 30 years old, according to ancient cultures, you would be considered to be wise, a sage, a mentor, what we would consider today to be those baby boomer years. How old was Jesus when he started his public ministry? Take a guess. 30, on the nose. That's not an accident. That's the age where he would have had the cultural credibility to be accepted. Now, we can make an argument and to say, well, you know, according to our theology today, Jesus was the fullness of divinity, so he might have been ready way younger than 30. Could be true. At 12 years old, he had an interaction in the temple, and it says that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. At 12. That's pretty remarkable. So he might have been ready as the fullness of divinity for public ministry even at the age of 12. But the culture would not have been ready for him because he wasn't yet 30. There's a respect that comes with those baby boomer kind of years. So in order for Jesus to have the maximum amount of influence to the maximum number of people, culturally, he needed to be in that sweet spot of influence between young man and elderly. And that's the baby boomer generation today. When I became lead pastor of the church here and president of the school, I was 33 years old. Young and dumb. I'm not saying every 33-year-old is young and dumb. I'm just saying I was young and dumb. Now, I, uh, I, I think I projected more confidence than I actually held in my own soul. I think I faked it, right, a little, a little bit, trying to pretend that I knew more than I did and had it more together than I did. 
And so I knew on the inside when the, the, the governing pastors told me that they had voted me as the, as the next lead pastor, in my own soul, I was very insecure. I thought to myself, I am way too young. I'm way too inexperienced. And so I made the conscious decision, even in that room, to surround myself with older people. In fact, almost the entire governing pastors board at the time were between the ages of 55 and 75, that sweet spot of wisdom and influence. And so I submitted myself to them. Fortunately, our founding pastor was 63 at the time he passed the baton on to me. And I said, you're not going anywhere, are you? He goes, nope, I want to stay put. So for eight years, he stayed at the church and we met just about every single week. And sometimes I'd bring some things to him, some conflicts or some things that were coming up. And I said, Steve, I need your help. We all need help from those who are wiser than us. So it would do everyone under 55 well to surround themselves with people over 55. That's where wisdom lives. That's where wisdom lives. But even though there's a lot of wisdom in those upper years, the second half of life, there are some pitfalls of the baby boomer generation. The first one is, and it might be a surprise to you, is that this older generation is still prone to making really dumb mistakes. It's called midlife what? Crisis. That's a real thing. It's a real thing. These big mistakes when we're older just seem so bizarre. When a young person makes a mistake that has big consequences, you think, okay, that's a big mess. We'll clean it up. But there's a lot of time, right? You didn't know what you were doing. But when somebody between 50 and 60 years old-ish makes a big life-altering mistake with tons of consequences, people around kind of raise their eyebrows. What happened? You should have known better, right? Here are the kind of mistakes that happen in a midlife crisis. A betrayal of marital vows. Addictions tend to get pretty heavy during that period of time. Unwise investments, chasing easy money, right? We didn't save enough. We got to chase some money right now or overspending. I'm continually surprised at how people who are in their, their 55 plus years continue to get in even more debt that piles up as they approach retirement. It can get pretty scary. Why do people in their middle age make these kinds of terrible mistakes? Certainly not, not everybody, but there's a, a good chunk of people in that age that make these kind of mistakes. It comes from two places. First, it comes from a place of, of thinking we deserve more. People in the, in, the, in the Middle Ages have worked so hard their entire life, and they, they believe they deserve more respect than they have at work. They believe they deserve more um, uh, respect or affection from their home. They believe they deserve a better lifestyle, and they don't have what they think they deserve. That creates a real tension, sort of an injustice. And, and as they hit that middle age, they think, I'm just going to go get what I think I deserve. Terrible things happen as a result. These bad mistakes also come from a place of a sense that time is running out. Time is running out. When you get to that middle age, you become very acutely aware that you are in the second half of your life. That transition from first half to second half is no fun at all. I know because I'm experiencing it right now. I just turned 50. Now, it wasn't a big deal to me, but I'm not going to lie to you and say it was a little deal. 50 is a big number in my mind. And I hear it's even going to get bigger, right? That's just kind of what happens. And, and it's this season of life where you are leaving the first half of life and going into the second, and there's just an emotional complexity that takes place during that time. In fact, study after study, no fewer than seven comprehensive studies have led to the conclusion that people are the most unhappy between the ages of 50 and 55. It's called the happiness you. The happiness you. When we're young, we tend to be kind of happy, right? 
we, we tend to have vision about our lives and this is what I want to do with my life and there tends to be some motivation there for most people. When we hit that transition from the first half of life to the second half of life, there's a lot going on emotionally. We're not getting what we deserve. Um, we have the sense of injustice. We, we know the first half of life is over. It's hard getting into the second. And so it tends to be kind of a trough of happiness. But the cool thing is, as we get older, even as we get into elderly years, 90 years, happiness rises again. And we'll talk about that here in just a minute. So it's a complex place to be. Now, given the complexity of transitioning to that second year, that second half of life, uh, I want to tell you something that, that could radically change your life. You might even want to write it down. You ready? Or take a picture. Don't. I'm going to go slow. Do stupid stuff. Now, some of the psychologists in the room are like, oh, it's more complicated than that. I agree. We talked about that a little bit. A lot of emotional complexities. But sometimes you just have to look at yourself in the mirror and look at yourself in the eyes and say, you know, you might not feel like you're getting what you deserve. You might feel a sense of injustice. You might feel as though you're, you know, you're just in this funk because you're going into the second half of life. But don't ruin what you have. Don't ruin your family. Don't make a dumb financial decision. Just don't do stupid stuff. And that's kind of called the more cognitive therapy is just convince yourself to do the right thing because you don't want to make a mess out of stuff. Sometimes that does a lot of good just overcoming the more complex emotions of it. And so it's incumbent upon us all, I think, to, to say all of us are prone to making dumb mistakes, young and old. Romans 3.23 is very clear. For everyone has sinned, all have sinned, and fall short of God's glorious standards. We're all prone to making mistakes, young and old but also to rest on God's amazing forgiveness. I love Romans 5.15. Great is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift. So if you've made a mistake, big mistake, life-altering mistake, young or old, rest on God's love for you. When we took communion earlier, that's a sacrament of God's grace, body broken, blood shed, to assure us that we're forgiven. Jesus paid it all to make sure that he, we know we are forgiven and there's nothing that separates us from God, not even our own egregious mistakes, right? So we can rest on that. Uh, baby boomers can go through midlife crisis. They also can have a love of money. This is a, a stereotypical sort of accusation about baby boomers. I think for the most part is pretty well deserved. And it's understandable. Baby boomers come from a frugal, you know, kind of bloodline. Their parents are frugal. And here they built this amazing country. They built an amazing career, maybe. They've, they, they've, they've had this, this invention. They've built a business. And so they have money. And, and then they wanted to spend it on a good lifestyle for them and their families. And so baby boomers oftentimes just kept upgrading their house and upgrading their house and, and they kept going and they upgraded their car and they upgraded their TVs and they've just got all this stuff and sometimes it comes with a lot of debt and it comes with a lot of waste and a big carbon footprint. And so the younger generations are looking at the boomers saying, do you really need all that stuff? Is there maybe a little bit of a love of money in there? And I've got to confess to you that my wife and I probably have a little bit of boomer in us. We're, we're technically old Xers and not quite boomers, but um, out of uh, high school, I started a construction company and, and my wife and I became home builders. And so as part of that, we built our own homes and uh, the later homes were pretty nice and we raised our kids in, in those homes. That was all before I became lead pastor here. And uh, we vacation in an RV. So we have a trailer and to pull a trailer, you need a truck and it's a pretty big truck. That's not my truck. I'm just, I'm kidding. Can you imagine Pastor Scott driving that around town? 
well, we drive a truck with a big engine that pulls a trailer. And, and so, you know, my, my wife and I are having this discussion too, is we kind of understand living out the, the boomer lifestyle of starting businesses and being somewhat successful here and there and, and living in a house and having a, you know, a nice car and all that. So we understand that. We're also wanting to build frugality and generosity in our kids. So, you know, we're kind of little downsize mode right now, right? Just wanting to do the right thing and set the right example for our kids. And then to also realize that there are environmental issues that frankly, the older generations haven't been raised to value so much. The younger generations are screaming, hey, we need a sustainable planet, right? And older generations weren't that concerned. We need to be kind of concerned. Uh, I've had some funny moments. Uh, sometimes our staff parks back here during the week and, and there's my truck that pulls a trailer and then there's, th there's these three Fiat somethings, Fiat 300s, I don't know what they are. They're electric little things, kind of golf carts, right? And so my truck's out there and then there's three of these tiny Fiats. It's like my truck could eat six of those for a snack. And we just have some fun back and forth. But th this is this is a real conversation to bridge the gaps. There's so much that the boomers can offer, but we can kind of guard that sense of materialism. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this, those who love money will never have enough. We gotta guard that. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. So boomers can make some, some tough decisions. Boomers can have a love of money. Boomers can also be judgmental. And what does Jesus say very simply? Don't judge others. Don't judge others. I've heard groups of baby boomers just harass millennials, 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 millennials. Like, that's why this okay boomer movement is firing back, right? Let's not judge. So a couple, of we, a couple of ways as we close to bridge the gaps of the generations. Boomers, build a world for the next generation. You've, you're building a great world. You're building an, an economic engine here that has, that has improved this entire world immensely. But think about the next generation. Titus 2 says, live as an example to the younger generation by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Live to mentor younger generations. Continue to work hard, but don't just work hard for your lifestyle and your family, work hard for the next generation. And lastly, transition from building a lifestyle to leaving a legacy. Transition from building a lifestyle to leaving a legacy. Psalm 112 says this, the children of people who want to leave a legacy, the children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. They themselves will be prosperous and their good deeds will last forever. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. How will the young generations be generous? When the old generations are generous. Not just living for themselves or amassing lifestyle for themselves, but giving liberally to help others. How will the young generations be compassionate when the old generations show compassion and show a real heart and concern for the poor? Older generations sometimes get a job types, right? They show heart and compassion for people who are marginalized, minorities, uh, refugees, immigrants. Older generations, ah, let's, let's have this heart softened so that we can build a legacy for the next generation that we're being called to build. Generosity, compassion, and righteousness. Doing the right thing for the right reasons. That'll bring honor to God. If you are 50 plus, I command you to get Richard Rohr's book, um, uh, Falling Upward. It is a, an absolute delight to read if you are heading into that second half of your life. 
It is so deep and profound and rich and, and philosophical. It's going to touch you at a soul level. One of the things he says in chapter 10, and it's, it's very profound. So, so I want you to just kind of rest on this. And I don't have time to explain it, and I don't really want to. I want you to just set on this. Our mature years are characterized by a kind of bright sadness. Second half of life, older years, maturity can be characterized as a bright sadness. Just think, imagine what it might be to live a life of bright sadness. I'll just let you think about it. And a sober happiness. What does sober happiness look like in the second half of life as opposed to the happiness of the first half of life? This book will detail what that means, and it is powerful. What he laments in his book is that there are people who are older who are not living in the second half of life. They're still pursuing the kind of thin world of the first half. The second half can be rich and profound and meaningful and selfless and God-honoring to leave a legacy for the next generation. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for the baby boomer generation. Thank you that throughout your word, it is that age group that you have done mighty, mighty things through. Men and women who had great skill and great respect and great cultural integrity, and you use them to, to move forward the kingdom of heaven on this earth. Thank you that they can leave a legacy for younger generations that is one of generosity and compassion, integrity, righteousness. And, and I pray that as this older generation perhaps separates from materialism and, and puts people first, as, we, as we've heard stories today, that there would be a wonderful uniting of the generations, not judging each other, harassing each other, making fun of each other, but truly united around the cause of Christ, the cause of love, the cause of helping people in need, the cause of working together to bring heaven to earth for your glory and your honor in Christ's name. Amen.